You are Locked On Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for Monday, October 26th. Crazy how far we've come, right, guys? I can't believe we're about to be at Halloween already. Um, my name, of course, as always, is Javier Reyes, your host of this year, Lockdown Padres Podcast. Check out and follow the Twitter page for the show, which is at LO underscore Padres, or my personal account, which is at Javapeno, which is spelled J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O. And if you feel so inclined, please hit me up on there with any questions you might have, and I'll do my very best to answer them here on the show. Don't worry, guys, the mailbag back signal, it's coming. I think it's actually, you know what, I'm going to say it's probably coming next week. Probably coming next week, so look out for that, guys. But instead, for now, you know, everybody's talking about the World Series, and believe me, I've got a special kind of a World Series thoughts podcast coming up with Connor Newcomb tomorrow, so I'm not going to give all my thoughts into that. Instead, I want to do a little preseason projections and and compare them to what ended up happening for the Padres this season. And in terms of that, I mean individual players. Obviously, the Padres outperformed their statistics in terms of where they finished in the standings. You know, they finished they finished around second, which is where some people had them, don't get me wrong. So I don't want to make this into a, a bleep you, you all were wrong, you idiots type of thing. Instead, I want to just kind of look at some of the numbers, specifically from fan graphs, and look at a little bit of their projections that they had for some of the Padres' offensive players and their pitching, obviously. And for today's episode, we're going to focus on the batting. And I just want to compare them to what ended up happening for the season. So really, let's stop farting around. Let's just get right into it. Let's start with Fernando Tatis Jr., the star of the show. Breaks out last year. Everybody knows the tale. We know about Fernando Tatis Jr. He's amazing. But what were his preseason projections? Well, on fan graphs, I was looking at his slash line projections. He was projected for a 278, 353, 530 slash line, which is great. That's a pretty big uh, borderline, not borderline, that is an all-star caliber player for sure. And what did he end up finishing? He finished with a 277, 366, 571 slash line. So better than was projected, but not so much better that this is completely out of nowhere. And I think one of the biggest things that happened this year is Fernando Tatis Jr. was able to cut down on his strikeout percentage. Last year, it was 29.6%, which is one of the lowest in the entire league, and his walk percentage was at 8.1. This year, much, much, much better. His K percentage was only 23.7, which is definitely around the the league average, I'd say. Maybe maybe slightly below average, but still definitely not, you know, deplorable as it was last year. And his walk percentage was 10.5%. So, you know, there were some fears that maybe the batting average, he hit 300 last year, maybe that would would be uh, due for a major regression. It was due for a regression in some way. He ended up batting 277, but still, it shows that Tatis wasn't really a fluke last year, and that's really all we wanted, right? Basically, everything about Tatis Jr. this year is that he played the same way he did last year, high octane, high energy, except that he just, you know, improved in certain areas, like the strikeout percentage and walk percentage. And most importantly, while I'm not going to be covering this as much because I I like talking about the batting stats, it's his defense. And this year, he was so, so, so much better. Last year, his outs above average was minus 13. And then this year, it was 7, which is 
quite the improvement. And a lot of that is because, as I've joked before, I sometimes think he gets bored by routine plays. Made a lot of throwing errors last year. And this year, just a cannon arm has some of the highest velocity coming off that arm, throwing to first base, and was just better defensively overall. He went around like 30-ish games, I think, without making his first error and just made some amazing plays throughout the season. So that was the big thing, arguably concerning even more than the strikeout percentage about Tatis. Is is he going to be great defensively? He cleaned that up, and for the young superstar, I imagine it's only going to get better. But now let's talk about May Machado. I'm spending too much time already talking about Tatis. I mean, we know he's a beast. We know he's a beast. So let's talk about big money bags man who secured the bag, Manny Machado. Fangraphs projected him for a pretty great slash line of 281, 352, and 527. He ended up finishing with a 304, 375, 80 slash line. So again, nothing completely over the top of the projections, but still much better than was projected. Finishing with 16 home runs, And a lot of those home runs were key, man, especially. And he was good defensively, as always. A little bit better than last year, I'd say. Kind of cleaned up his game, too. Um, But one of the biggest things about Machado is as evidenced by his super high batting average, is he had the lowest K percentage of his entire career, actually. Last year, he had a K percentage of 19.4, which led to kind of his slumps, especially in the later months of the year. But this year, he finished with a K percentage of just 14.6%, even improved his walk rate just a tad bit from last year from 9.8 to 10.2%. His career average K percentage is 21.8%, And that's really what I think it comes down to, is he was just better. He just hit more consistently. You know, he's still going to be a ground ball type of player and hit into a a bunch of double plays you don't like. But really this year, I think what was good about him is he was more patient at the plate, more relaxed at the plate. And you guys should check out some videos online that I've seen where his batting stance was just a lot more. The bat was a lot more like lowered to his shoulder instead of holding it in the air with some sort of strength. I don't know how to describe it as much over audio. I'm just kind of like, I'm like doing it to myself right now in the mirror right now. But he just from that perspective, he was a lot better and I just think he seemed more relaxed at the plate and just came through in so many big situations so shout out to Manny Machado again another player for the Padres that outdid the projections but he is a star so is it that surprising no it is not especially when you compare it to some other guys let's talk about another I guess big name he's a necessary star but he's one of the bigger names on the Padres and that's Eric Hosmer he's a guy that wasn't necessarily projected to be as good Fangraphs had him as a slash line overall they expected him to bat 267 with a 326 for 49 on base and slugging respectively and what did he end up finishing he finished with a 287 333 517 that last number being the most important for his slash line Look, Eric Hosmer, man, everyone's talked about the launch angle thing. And that basically is what I'll say describes his, his 2020 season. Hosmer infamously is one of those guys that hits way too many ground balls and his launch angle is extremely low. You know, arguably the lowest in the entire league with the exception of just a couple players. And this year, his average launch angle was 8.7. And you know what it was last year? Just 2.1. And even the year before, it was negative 1.4. So this is a guy who seems to have embraced it. He seems to embrace all the statistics and whatnot. And that resulted in nine home runs, especially, and just being able to launch things harder, get more doubles, get more hard hit balls and what have you. And while he didn't play a full season, he only played 38 games. Still, if you iron that out, maybe he ends up hitting like 14 or 15 home runs, you know, as compared to guys like Machado and Tatis. So really, that's the big thing with with Hosmer is that he was able to kind of just have a bounce back season where he was productive, especially at a position where I argue with that, with the maybe that and maybe second base was where the Padres were expected to be kind of the weakest in the league when, you know, back when spring training was still a thing. Still certainly a below average defender, but the biggest thing here is that he was able to, you know, give the Padres big hits when needed. 
And then another guy who gave us big hits when needed, let's talk about a true breakout this year, that is Jake Cronenworth. He was expected to hit for a modest, pretty okay by Fangraph slash line of 271, 341, 406. And what did he end up doing? Well, he hit 285 with a 354 and 477 on base and slugging respectively. Um, Where do we even start with Jake Cronenworth? A pretty good defensive player, which I'm not going to get into too much. Just a great utility guy. But I think the biggest thing about Jake Cronenworth, and I can't compare his numbers, obviously, to previous years in the league because this was his rookie year, is that he just kind of sees the opportunity. Remember that Jorge Mateo was suspected to be the guy to make that last roster spot until he tested positive for COVID-19. And then Jake Cronenworth ends up getting the spot. And then Eric Hosmer ends up getting hurt. And then Jake Cronenworth just makes the most of that like seven-game series, right? That seven-game sample size he had. And then he ends up staying in the lineup and then ends up being the everyday second baseman. He even finished higher with his weighted on base, as expected uh, by Fangraphs was 321, and he finished with a 356. Look, here's the thing. He hits the ball hard, not in the home run sort of sense. He only finished with four home runs this season, but in terms of just everything else, low strikeout rate with 15.6%, and essentially he just kind of hit balls. Exit velocity was super high. I mean, I, I mean, there's so many numbers that you could get into, but bottom line is Jake Cronenworth was just so unbelievable this year, and while I don't think he's going to win Rookie of the Year, it seems like the kind of tides have tilted in the other direction. seems like Devin Williams or Alec Boehm are probably going to get it, but still, Jake Cronenworth being that everyday player, just always being there in the lineup and having a pretty good offseason uh, Offseason in terms of the playoffs, I mean, uh, really just cemented his status as being the the Renaissance man in the infield and the ultimate uh, people's player. You know what I mean? He was the people's champion this year, Jay Cronenworth. I would argue for the Padres, but he wasn't the only kind of breakout people's champion per se, right, guys? And before we get into that, first I want to talk about another breakout, and it's not a baseball player. It's not it's not stats or anything like that. You know what it is? It's food. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Built Bar. If I could predict anyone that was a big breakout this year, it was Built Bar. At least for me, because you know, you know, I'm not a big protein bar guy particularly, but these things they're super super tasty. So I can't help it, right? They're covered in 100% chocolate, and they're super soft and easy to chew. There's 12 original flavors. There's one of my favorite parts about them so much variety coconut almond raspberry german chocolate peanut butter banana bread mint brownie salted caramel double chocolate orange toffee almond coconut peanut butter brownie oh my gosh i'm running out of breath just talking about how many flavors they've had and they have six new flavors coming in that's caramel brownie cookies and cream cherry barcia lemon almond cheesecake carrot cake and apple almond crisp if that doesn't get you hungry i don't know what will ladies and gentlemen and i can really attest to how good these things are and not only that not only just tasty for you Obviously, they're protein bars, so they're great for your health. They're great for the keto diet with high fiber, high protein, low sugar, and low calories. So, guys, if, you, if you're hearing all this and you're not interested in a built bar, I don't know what's wrong. I don't even want to know you. That's how much I, 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 could not, I could not fathom the idea of you being uninterested in built bars. So, guys, even better, I have a deal for you. You can go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Remember, that is promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. And now, guys, let's continue talking about these projections and whatnot, and let's talk about the biggest... I mean, I've been saving him, right? I've been saving him, guys. I'm not going to lie. I'm so excited about this one, and that is Will Myers, arguably the biggest comeback player in all of the league this year. You know, I think Daniel Bard might have the most interesting story in terms of the fact that he had it pitched in like four years and was a coach at one point. That might be just the most interesting story, but certainly I think in the NL, Will Myers is probably the front runner for this, right? So let's talk about him. Fangraphs was projecting him 
him for a 248, 325, 476 slash line. And what did he end up finishing with? Well, a lot, lot, lot higher than that. He ended with a slash line of 288, 353, and a 606 slugging percentage. Holy God, yeah. That was the highest among all of the batters, basically, for the Padres this year. A lot of that has to probably be because Tatis definitely declined over the course of the end of the season, and, and Will Myers is basically more consistent throughout, right? And it's not like Myers did anything crazy this year in terms of his numbers compared to previous years. He did cut down on his strikeout rate, which was egregiously high last year. He finished with a strikeout rate percentage last year of 34.2, which is among some of the worst in the league, actually the bottom 1% of the league. And this year it was 25.7, which while certainly not good, it wasn't deplorable. One thing that you will notice with uh, Will Myers' numbers in terms of his improvement was his barrel percentage, which was 14.8% compared to last year, which was 11.2. It's not like there's a crazy amount of numbers that are showing why Will Myers was so much better this year. He basically just came up with big hits all the time. In terms of pitches that he saw this year, one thing that I did notice is that he was a lot better hitting breaking balls this year. Last season, he only hit 154 against breaking balls, and then this year he hit 308, which was a huge, huge, huge improvement, obviously. And against off-speed pitches last year, he hit 179, and then this year he hit 333. So basically, just he was more consistent throughout. Oddly enough, he actually hit a little bit worse against fastballs this year compared to last year. But still, I really think that the big thing about Myers is... This is one of those guys who broke out this year that you can't really find numbers that suggest why it happened. He'd had, you know, great stretches before where he looked like a monster and he stole a bunch of bases and he was a fantasy baseball superstar. But, you know, we never really saw it sustained throughout an entire season this year. So I'm really curious to see what it is. Maybe he just feel maybe this is an emotional thing. And as you guys all know, I don't like using statistics too much when I'm talking about sports because I think it kind of boils down what's a human game into just numbers and algebra tests. So maybe it's just that not knowing, uh, not thinking, I should say, that he had to be the guy, that he needed to be the best player on the team. Maybe with Tatis' explosion, maybe the acquisition of Pham, who we'll talk about in a little bit, and Jake Cronenworth becoming a thing. Maybe the fact that he was just on a good team for once made him better as a result. So while there isn't really a a, a fine, defining, definitive reason why uh, Will Myers was so much better this year than previous years, I'm willing to bet that it continues, or at least minorly bet. I wouldn't bet my life on it, but, you know, it was a big story this year. Another big story was this year was someone that I was super high on heading into the year, and that is Sir Trent Grisham. Grisham had a pretty good ex- expectation from Fangraphs, batting 245 with a 342 on base and a 436 slugging percentage. Instead, he finished the season with a 251 average, 352 on base, and a 456 slugging percentage, which is about right. And here's the thing with the slugging percentage. That was basically pretty much on point, right? But the big reason, the big thing about the slugging percentage is a lot of that, I imagine, comes from that outrageous three home run game that he did have against the Astros, right? So if you take that out of it, he's definitely not a slugger type player. He's an on-base guy who just sees pitches well, and he's an A-plus defender. I was a little bit worried about that. While I was super high on Grisham, I didn't know for sure if the Padres had like a surefire center fielder. And aside from some errors against the Dodgers at the beginning of the season, Grisham was pretty fantastic basically throughout the entire uh, rest of the season, with the exception of the beginning in terms of his defense. That was a really long-winded way of me just saying, yes, he was good defensively in center field. 
But while all that is really great, I would like to see Grisham maybe improve in the strikeout department, be a little bit more consistent of a bat, because sometimes I'm like, eh, this isn't great. Although I do think that he got gypped on a good amount of calls this year, I still want to see him improve in that area. But the most exciting part about Grisham, I really think that he's super, super, I think he might be the most underrated player on the Padres right now. You know why the biggest reason I think for that is? He's 23. If he was, if we didn't have Tatis and Machado and Jake Cronenworth and all these guys, he would be the guy that all of us are talking about as being the future of the team and how he'd be, he could be a superstar. He'd be the one that we'd be all bawling our eyes over, you know? We'd be freaking out over this guy. And instead, he's just another solid player in this lineup who, as of right now, I'd say is just a defensive stud. And in terms of his batting, solid, although hasn't really come up big in certain situations, especially this year in the postseason where he was atrocious and struck out three times with the bases loaded. But still, he's young. Another player that was really interesting this year that I wasn't expecting to get production from was Jerkson Profar. For the preseason projections, Jerkson Profar was expected to have a slash and I have 252, 331, 420, and he finished with a 278, 343, 428 slash line. So the slugging was there, but the batting average and the on-base was slightly better. And here's the thing with Jerickson Profar. While he doesn't hit a whole lot of home runs and he doesn't hit anything more than the occasional double and stuff, he was just like, he's what you need from your bottom of the order at batter. And hey, even sometimes I sometimes I was questioning whether or not he should have been at the top of the order. Just a super kind of spark plug player and a great player that I think, you know, I don't know what the Pirates are going to do in free agency. I'd like to keep Profar at Depends on what his kind of value is going to be placed at. But really, he just kind of came up with hits when it was needed. His hard rate is still among the worst in the league, for sure. But he doesn't strike out a lot, so that balances out a little bit. Bottom line is this. Profar, for your 7th or 8th, ninth type of batter, was really, really good this year. And while he's definitely not probably not going to reach that unbelievable ceiling that he did have once upon a time. It is pretty amazing that this guy that basically the Padres took a flyer on ended up being a solid, consistent contributor and was able to fill in for Tommy Pham at left field adequately enough, especially defensively. And speaking of Tommy Pham, let's talk about him, right? He arguably is the biggest bust on the team this year. He was expected to have a slash line of 262, 360, 435, which is pretty solid. And instead, uh, wait, I can't find him. What? what? Where did Tommy Pham go? What, what happened? Oh, that's right. That's because his final line was really not great. In 31 games in total, he batted 211, 312, 312, which is really, really not good. Look, the guy was hurt this year, and even though he didn't look great when he was healthy anyway, you know, I don't want to hate too much on the guy. I'm willing to kind of, you know, throw this season out and just say, hey, look, it was an injury-riddled season. But I will say with what Tommy Pham is, he was really good at the playoffs. I mean, that guy had like seven hits with a bunch of doubles and stuff. At one point, he was one of the most consistent batters on the team in the postseason, arguably even better than Manny Machado. Manny Machado really, it gets, it's gotten a little bit forgotten that basically he had that one unbelievably like swagger-filled home run against the Cardinals in that unbelievable game too. And other than that, he really wasn't all that great in the postseason. Tommy Pham certainly was, and I'm willing to throw out the season as it was injury riddled. Now let's move on to a really weird position that I think everyone was confused about what would happen, and that was catcher, okay? So if you look at projections, right? Some of the guys that were expected, you know, Austin Hedges, I don't even want to talk about Austin Hedges, we already knew what he was. Francisco Mejia, if you go by his fan graphs projections, it wasn't great, he was expected to bat around 231, 284, 382, so that was really bad. And Francisco Mejia really didn't even play. The guy who ended up playing, it was a mixture of them and Hedges and all that. Catcher was stupid this year. Catcher was just stupid. It's hard to analyze and look at the preseason projections especially since they didn't take into account you know who they knew was going to play and what have you and the Padres ended up trading for Austin Nola Austin Nola in terms of the totality of his season was much better than his projections 
He was projected for a 252, 326, 397 slash line, and instead he finished with a 273, 353, 472 slash line, which is pretty great actually, especially among catchers. But for the Padres, however, for the Padres, his slash line was 222, 324, 381. So while that's not, you know, terrible, it's actually not better than his projections. In terms of his time on the Padres, he kind of performed more like his preseason projections. So is Austin Nola legit? I don't really know. I do think his ability to at least play catcher is legit, and I still think he's probably better than both Mejia and Austin Hedges, even on his worst day. But for now, I think that he's really just a placeholder for Luis Campizano, who we'll have to see what happens. I mentioned last week that he got arrested for, for marijuana possession, so we'll see how that all you know kind of plays out. But Austin Null, you know, he's not as good of a defender as Austin Hedges, especially in terms of pitch framing. I thought that he just didn't look good at all at times there. I know that some of the stats are probably proving me wrong on that front, but still, I'm just, I was just a little bit nervous about him every time he was catching behind the plate. And definitely in terms of, aside from the, the pitch framing, which the stats do back up, is the fact that he's not, he doesn't have a great record of throwing guys out at second base. People love running on this guy. But let's move on to two final guys, and one of the other ones was Mitch Moreland. He was another one that was acquired in a trade for the Padres. His preseason Fangraphs projections, he was projected to have a 234, 312, 451 slash line. And he ended up finishing with a 265, 342, 551 slash line. Very, very good for Mitch Moreland. However, what were his numbers when he was on the Padres? Because a lot of that comes from when he was on the Red Sox. And when you look at it from that perspective, his slash line was 203, 247, 362, which is bad. Now look, obviously he was a disappointment, and obviously it looks like he was probably playing over his head while he was with Boston. I know he's had some big hits before, as I talked with Gabrielle Starr, who was like, hey, enjoy Mitch Borland. I'm like, okay, yeah, it should be super fun, and then he really wasn't all that great. But in terms of just a total season, he definitely outperformed his fan graph projections. But in terms of the Padres, I'd say this is one of those guys that the Padres should still probably pick up the option on. It's another player to have and a decent like kind of bench guy to have and doesn't cost much if I'm not mistaken he's only going to cost around three million maybe even less if they pick up the the club option and then the last player that I want to talk about really quickly was Ty France who preseason projections from Fangraphs he was expected to have a slash line of 261 328 431 and he ended up finishing with a 305 368 469 slash line good for an 836 OPS so he was pretty dang good and he's unfortunately one of the guys that we lost in all the trades that Preller was doing at the deadline look I get it it's fine we needed the catcher I get it and it wasn't necessarily a place for Ty France but I just wanted to give a shout out to the guy he definitely outperformed his uh you know projections it definitely might be one of those guys to keep an eye on in the future especially if he gets more playing time But with all that, guys, I talked about kind of the end of the bench, guys, and whatever, but still, I felt it was necessary, and I hope you guys enjoyed kind of this breakdown. Bottom line, there's going to be a lot of discussions about the Padres roster this offseason and what they do, but the biggest thing, man, a whole lot of people stepped up, and especially guys that you did not expect, like guys like Eric Hosmer and guys like a Jake Cronenworth, and especially guys like Will Myers. And with that all being said, guys, those are all my thoughts for the preseason projections and whatnot. This kind of chunky pod that I went a little bit longer than I expected it to go. But still, that about does it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast, guys. The only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Himalaya, Overcast, wherever. Just type it on in that search bar and you'll find it. Remember to follow the show 
or myself on Twitter, that's at LO underscore Paidas, or at Javapeno. Feel free to send some some five-star reviews on iTunes if you'd like. If you'd like, that would be very much appreciated. And until next time, stay safe, and of course, stay faithful. My fire faithful homies, take care.